Welcome to season two of Talking Turns, where we take turns talking and the talk takes a turn. I'm your host, George Knapp. Just a friendly reminder, this show contains adult content. It's for mature audiences only. Hi, Stephanie. Hey, George. That's great. I love it. That's kind of been my accidental intro to all of my podcasts, regardless of who my co-host or guest is. I always just say hi, and then you say hey, and that's pretty cool. So Stephanie Forte is one of my favorite people on the planet. I'm so excited to have her here, and she's smiling, but she is, and she's (laughs) one of my favorite people for two main reasons. I mean, there's a million reasons, but two main reasons. The first one is she's one of Andrea's best friends, and she's been a great friend for Andrea and a great uh, co-worker, um, partner, whatever you want to call it. And secondly, the first time I met Stephanie, or certainly the first time I remember meeting Stephanie, there was an event... And all I remember is she had a booklet <laughs> and had the whole event. And she's a she's an event planner, among other things. She's also a technical writer and a mom and a million different things. Maybe we'll get into all the different things that Stephanie is. But she, I said, well, what do you do? And she handed me this book. And I looked at this book and I like instantly fell in love with how freaking organized she was. <laughs> and so that was it. She's she's my one of my she's my best friend's best friend. And she's super organized. So that was like two huge boxes to check on the list of why I love Stephanie. So there you go. That's it. And, you know, George, I probably still have some variation of that book that you saw that day because <laughs> I almost lived my life out of some sort of plan like that. So, yeah. Right. And it's, well, it seems to have paid off. I mean, you have an awesome husband, awesome children. Uh, you seem happy all the time. So um, yep. whatever you're doing, just keep doing it. Do more of it. Write a book. Do a podcast, teach people how to live the Stephanie life, you know, maybe. You know, it's funny because people have told me that maybe I should write a book about the wedding planning world and all of the things that I encounter doing that and all the personalities. But, you know, maybe one day we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, sometimes that's a that's a sunset adventure because you have to kind of say, okay, either I'm going to quit this industry or um, my clients are mature enough that they can, (laughs) they can handle, they can handle the the funny stories, quote unquote, along with the, you know, the, the emotional and wonderful and lovey stories, because I'm sure you have some of both. Yes, I do. I mean, I've been doing this now for about 13 years. So, you know, they're, the stories run the gamut, you know, they're extremely hilarious whenever you look back at it, not so hilarious while you're living through it. Yes. And then the moments that make you kind of, that tug at your heartstrings and, you know, make you kind of teary eyed and, and grateful that you were a part of the event. Yeah. And kind of bring you back. I mean, you know, there's a th- saying among amateur golfers, cause I'm a crappy golfer, but I really, really enjoy it. And sometimes on the last hole or two, you make a really nice shot, you know, and that's what that, that brings you back. Yeah. And I found that to be the case. Like even with these podcasts, I found that to be the case when I do, when I've, um, actually officiated weddings, mm-hmm. you know, there'll be a moment and I'll be like, oh, you know, I was just, this was going to be my last one, but you know, now, like you said, your heart gets tugged at a little bit and you're like, oh, that's kind yeah. of, this is why I do this. Yeah. yeah. You know, at least once a year I go through that moment, George, where I say, this is the last one for a while. And then something will come up and I'm like, this is an opportunity I can't miss, whether it's the people mm-hmm. or the circumstance or the story that they've told me on why they're even together. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 it pulls me right back in. So mm-hmm. I don't know when I will ever eventually really say right. this is it, right. but you know, keep coming with the good stories and we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. I remember my very first wedding where this young couple that, that she was pregnant and they were struggling and 
they were trying to get, they wanted to get married at the grandma's church and the and church wouldn't let them. And they didn't want to, you know, blah, 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 this, all these rules. And they were just, they didn't have any money. And, you know, it was just, and, and I still think back to that wedding. And, and I remember, you know, Jackson was, um, outgrew all of his stuff. So we gathered up a bunch of his infant stuff and, and, you know, put it in the car and, drove it down there and, and just, just stuff like that. I mean, it's just those kind of, those kind of things will never, never leave you. They'll they'll never leave. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm working with a client right now who they came to me, they came back um, and not in the way that you would think the family came back to me. Um, The daughter, the oldest daughter got married 12 years ago and I did her wedding here in Darlington. And uh, about two months ago, I got a call the youngest daughters get married and they want me involved. And that to me means the world, even though right. I was trying to wrap up things for a bit, um, at least in that area for a while. But it was one of those things where you couldn't say no, because 12 years later, they thought about me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, some of Andrea's best clients are her repeat clients and yes. families, and then they have kids and she does the, you know, she's, I hope she doesn't have a problem saying this, but shooting shooting family portraits is not her favorite thing. Yes. You know, she loves doing weddings and um, because she's more journalistic in that yeah, sense. But, yeah. you know, she gets to see her clients grow up and the clients have families. And mm-hmm. then maybe someday she'll be able to get a second generation wedding. You know, that would be really cool. That would, would be, be cool. to, you know, shoot. Hey, I shot your mom and dad's wedding. You know, that would be that would be pretty awesome. Yeah. That'd be pretty awesome. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, you do technical writing, right? I do. I do. Um, I've been a technical writer now for a little over 18 years. And in the technical writing field, I'm a bit of a hodgepodge because most people that I started out with, we started out in one industry and they tended to stay in that industry. Whereas I've kind of jumped around, um, started out in the software industry, writing uh, online help for a software company that's local. And then I transitioned into medical insurance, healthcare, IT, property and casualty insurance. And so now I'm in the world of banking. So it's been an interesting ride. Okay. We're going to get to the world of banking in a minute. Yeah. But uh, so is it accurate or inaccurate? Because I'm ignorant of the whole subject of technical writing to say that if I hit the help button and um, a script comes up, it's possible that that's a script you could have written. That's true. That is very true. Okay, so how do you, I mean, you're, you're a very intelligent person, but you don't know everything. So how, you know, how do you go about the process of learning enough to create the document, yet obviously you're relying on expertise from someone or somebody else to actually give you some of the detail? How does that kind of meld into a technical document, I guess? That's a very good assessment, kind of, of what I do. So I don't know everything, um, although sometimes I like to pretend that I do. Um, You've convinced at least two or three people I know that you do, but we won't. They will remain nameless. (laughs) So what I normally do, especially when I approach a new topic, is um, I develop relationships with the people who are there, who are the subject matter experts. Um, I interview them. I become their friend. I develop a trusting relationship, too, because a lot of times what I've found is that those people don't really want to trust you coming Share in all the from trade the outside. Type yes, of thing, right? yes. Yeah, right. So a lot of it's relationship building and picking their brain and learning as much of you as you can about the product or the thing that you're writing about. And then once you learn enough you're mm-hmm. good to go. You know, mm-hmm. if you've got high level knowledge of what it is that you're writing about, you're pretty good to go. And continually interviewing people, talking mm-hmm. to people, being involved whenever things change so that you know how to adopt to writing about those changes. Those are all key things. Um, I've, I feel like I've been pretty successful in that world 
And even though I have kind of other things that I do, I don't think that I'd give a, give up the technical writing because I enjoy mm-hmm. it so mm-hmm. much. What's something you learned about that you never thought in your in the wildest dreams uh, 10 or 15 years ago you would have really been had any kind of like real insight to? I, I was, mean, I don't know if you how you can talk about your clients, how much information you can give, but. Yeah, you know, I can actually talk a little bit about property and casualty insurance because I knew it coming in from like a homeowner or right, uh, right. someone who owns a car. So right, I know a consumer's it from, perspective. Right, right. I know right. it from that side. But no, I had to learn so much about car insurance and the fact that there's so many legal aspects to just giving someone a policy. There's mm-hmm. so many state regulated as well as federally regulated things that need to be known about insuring Stephanie, the car <laughs> owner, right? Um, versus, you know, Stephanie, technical writer, now has to write about car insurance. And, you know, in that world, it was a little bit different, too, because in the past, I'd written for external clients. So people like you and me who bought a product. But mm-hmm. in the property and casualty insurance world, I wrote for the people who answered the phone at the okay, insurance so company. Okay, so 1-800 help desk yes, people, right? Yes, right. so I was writing, telling them how to tell Stephanie customer mm-hmm. about her insurance policy. So okay, it was cool. a lot of adopting there right. and learning things that I never thought I would about car insurance and how detailed it actually is. Right, and I've always I've always imagined that the, the only way to run a help desk is through some kind of algorithm kind of process. So. You know, it's like, you know, you anticipate the consumer's questions. And so you say, OK, hi, I'm, you know, I'm I'm George. I'm your technical support guy. What's your problem? And they say, well, you know, I banged my car into the side of the curb and your my sit my um, insurance salesman says that my wheel damage isn't covered. And I don't know why it's not covered. And then, you know, you kind of follow them through answer. And then you anticipate their questions. They're going to say, because when you say, yes, he's correct, they're not, it's not covered. And they say, well, that's a bunch of bull crap. I pay $500 billion a year for car insurance. What's, mm-hmm. what's, what's the point? <laughs> and they'd say, well, because wheels are this or wheels are that. And they, they use the various legal terms like you talked about and everything else. That's my imagination of how it kind of, those scripts kind of come together, right? They're- it is very similar. You know, uh, for the company that I worked at, the call center was a very high pressured area. Like you are sitting in a room with, you know, maybe about 30 or 40 other people and there are mm-hmm. TV screens that surround that room right. that tell you how long you've been on your call uh-huh. and when the next call is coming up and you have prescribed for you a certain amount of time that you can spend on a call. Yes. Before you need to go on to the next one. So the information that I was providing as as a technical writer was critical to those people on the phone in terms of, you know, their performance. Mm -hmm. So I Mm -hmm. actually sat with those people sometimes because it helped me gain an empathy for what it was that they was doing and they were doing and gain an understanding for what it was that they were Mm -hmm. doing. Mm -hmm. Right. And you could, you could kind of be, be their best friend if you actually help their performance improve, right? Yes. So there's yeah. got to be some satisfaction in that as well. Yeah, it is. It so is. you build these relationships with these companies. And so it's not just a one-time thing. They don't just say, hey, we want a manual on how to handle a difficult customer. They bring you in. They show you their call center. Yes. You interview people. You meet people, like you said. You become friends. And so you get immersed. You really do get immersed mm-hmm. in it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I become a part of the culture. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. That's pretty interesting. Cool. Parenting. Uh, I love your kids. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you love them too. <laughs> I do. I do. You know, my but boys. They are, they are, they are <laughs> I, like I always tell people about our five kids. They're five different points of the compass. I mean, you know, I don't know how they eat the same food. They were raised by the same parents mm-hmm. and the same, basic same genetics. And, you know, there, there's some overlap, you know, sometimes one will do something that reminds you of the other, but generally, and I know your kids not very well, but I know them fairly well. 
they are not alike. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. <laughs> they come from opposite ends of the spectrum. And it's funny because I was having a conversation with someone today. You know, Parker, he's very intellectual. He is my oldest and he's he's smart. Like it doesn't thing figuring things out. They aren't challenging to him. Things would be challenging to me. Right. It's yeah, it's 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 very innate with him. I yes. mean, this, this, the little bit of time I've spent with him. And more so when he's been younger. I haven't spent that much time with him lately, but you know, he, it, it is a very innate intelligence. Yes. I mean, it, it's 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 hard to describe it on a podcast. You just have to meet the guy. Yes, but it's almost it just flows. Yes, it's just like he sees the world in dimensions that the rest of us don't see. In. Yeah. You know, for a while, I actually thought he didn't have an imagination because he, he, <laughs> but, he was... but he sees everything. So there is no, right, imagina right, right. no imagination required. Right. right. You know, and for a little person, that's kind of hard to think mm -hmm. that they don't have an imagination. Mm -hmm. Everything was so literal. And he mm -hmm. was always trying to break everything apart and try to figure it out. But, um, you know, my youngest, Garrett, is so the complete opposite of Parker. Like, you know, I joke and say that, OK, Garrett is smart. But Garrett also has the common sense that sometimes I question about Parker <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> because he's so intellectually smart, Parker, that I think some things, you know, just that we see on a day to day basis that he may not see, right. you know, that come as second nature to us. So I say they are good balance for each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Garrett loves sports. He loves reading. Parker could do without the sports. Um, mm -hmm. They keep me on my toes because both of them are always asking me questions. So it's a broad spectrum too, yes. right? Yeah, so yes. you So while they can be different and thrive, you have to have a broader spectrum because you have to cover both. Yes. Right? Yeah. 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 Right. I say, exactly. I always tell people they make me smarter. Being mm -hmm. around them make me, right. makes Absolutely. me smarter. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's cool. That's funny. I think, I mean, in, is being accused in the past of being a smart child, I think you kind of get, uh, you can also get stereotyped mm -hmm. and it's kind of self, it's self, not self-reinforcing so much as culturally reinforcing. So someone hears about you, oh yeah, I heard about this guy or whatever, you know, and I'm sure at school and things, everybody knows who Parker is. Yes, yes, they do. And he has a reputation. So, I mean, at a young age, he already has some kind of a reputation for, for his intellect. And I think that whole common sense thing too is a little bit of not necessarily a lack of common sense so much as at least in my experience, mm -hmm. I, and I, you know, I, I wouldn't, I, I don't think I probably have as high IQ as Parker does, but I, I think just because you do view the world differently, mm -hmm. it looks to people like you don't understand what's going on, but you are kind of processing it at a different level. You're obviously, you're perceiving it at the same exact level. You know, we have eyes and ears and, and senses of smell and touch like everybody else, yeah. <laughs> but, but it's the processing. And so yeah. sometimes something will happen and people process it very viscerally and, and other people process it very intellectually. And it's just like, okay, well, that thing happened. And, you know, so here's kind of probably what preceded that thing. And here's probably what's going to happen after that thing. And so that's how people like me, at least, I can't really speak for him. Mm -hmm. That's how I process things. And so sometimes that appears to be a little bit odd mm -hmm. because people think, well, what about the, there's supposed to be a slot in there for, you know, you having a nervous breakdown or feeling happy or sad or whatever. And it's like, well, but yeah, but that event happened to someone else. It's not that we don't have empathy, but right. it's almost like can kind of look at it objectively and then dive in and become empathic and cry and get upset. I, I cry and get upset, you know, and yeah. stuff happens, but, but I, I, I kind of have this dual, dual view, you know, and I don't know if he's like that or not. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe I can he's see different. that. I can see that with him, you know, and, and for me being his mom, I have to kind of balance it out somewhat because like you said, people recognize that he's smarter 
And it's almost like a certain pressure or his, you know, his personality precedes him before he actually meets people because other people have talked about him. Yeah, so he doesn't get a chance to to allow people to discover him on their own. Yes. Or at their own pace and, or their own way. Right. Yeah. And so that's scary to me sometimes as a mom because people have opinions about him before they meet him sometimes just because they've talked to other people mm-hmm. or they, right. they've they heard, you know, about him. He's been reading since he was two. And so even that, that's a lot of pressure for a little boy, mm-hmm. you know, to walk into right. a room and everybody wants you to perform because they want you to pick up this yes. novel and start right. reading it. Right. And so um, I'm very conscious and Shellen is too, to try to, to keep some balance there with him with that and try to keep him grounded with that. Not that he, he thinks too much about it, but it's, it's certain conversations we'll have with him, you know, and, and just trying to, I guess, get ahead of, of the fact that people may have expectations of you that aren't necessarily things that you need to carry the weight of. Right. Exactly. That's, that's on them. It's not on you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's hard. To, that's hard to teach adults, let alone, I mean, and it's almost like being a rock star or really good at sports, but it's an indifferent, it's just a different set of talents. Right. But yeah, it's, it's managing your own expectations of yourself and not letting other people manage them for you. But that's, like I said, it's a horribly difficult lesson for adults to learn, let alone children. So. Mm-hmm. But he's awesome. He's still, I, I, I love both <laughs> of them. Though. I mean, I really do. So did, did you meet Andrea through doing a wedding with her by accident? Because you didn't, you didn't find her. How did you, how did you guys, I don't remember the story of how you two actually met. So the story of how we met is very funny to me because it's almost like we were on an online dating site, but for wedding vendors. And so we were on this wedding website where vendors collaborated. Mm -hmm. And shortly after she moved here, she put up a post and it said, I'm from Darlington. I'm a photographer. And does anyone know anything about the area? And up until that point, you know, almost everybody who was a part of the conversations or the chats on the boards were from other areas. And so it was like immediately I responded back because it was somebody closer to me that I could relate to. And so we connected on the board. We started talking and I think we met, that may have been around this time, some 10 or so years ago, around this time of year. We moved in, I believe, in July, nine nine or, I can't remember, 10 years ago. So yeah, so that would be, that would be, yeah. Because she wasn't here long and she was reaching out because she was not struggling, but she had still had most of her clients, most of her weddings were booked still up in Ohio. Mm -hmm, She was going up there mm -hmm. a lot and she was trying to develop a client base and she's very marketing oriented, as you know, she's really good at it. Yeah. Um, And um yeah, so she was reaching out, literally reaching out, looking for a, a collegial kind of um, um, cooperative mm-hmm. um, group or person, and she found you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I wasn't sure that's how it happened, okay. That is how it happened, and, you know, interestingly enough, shortly after that, I probably stopped checking that site that often, um, and I, I don't even check it really today. I'm still a member on it, but I don't check it. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, our relationship just kind of. I just remember a lot of lunches. There was a lot of <laughs> lunches, and there's a Stephanie woman, and she either are you and Shell both from Hartsville? He's from Hartsville. He's right? from Hartsville. I'm from a town called Johnsonville, very small oh, town on the okay. other side of Florence, right? right. The other yeah. side, right? So, but you live in Columbia, yes. so I mean, so so this is all I knew, right? You know, and then somehow then it led into. When we finally did meet, I think it was at an event because that's when I saw the book. And that's when I was like, oh, okay. You know. And then when I met Parker, Garrett wasn't born yet. I remember right. when Garrett was born. 
And uh, then I met Shell, and he's super, super nice. And he's very, uh, he's funny because he's so, he's so chill. He is. I don't know if he's like that in real life, but in public, he's very chill. No, he's like that in real life. I'm, I am like the polar opposite of him in, in that respect because I'm always spun up and on a thousand about something, whether it's that book of plans that you're referring mm-hmm, to or the next mm-hmm. thing I need to move on to. Right. But yeah, he, he's very slow moving. He very goes with the going. flow. Goes, yes. Yeah, very, yeah. Yeah, I'm not that. <laughs> That's good. I mean, it, it probably wouldn't work if it, if you were the same. Right. Uh, you know, right. it probably, you know, opposites do, I think, to some extent, attract. I mean, Andrew and I have a lot of, um, I think, behavioral or, or not really behavioral, a lot of tastes in common. Mm-hmm. But we don't have a lot of uh, behavioral similarities. You know, yeah. we're, we're, we're definitely different. And it would, probably wouldn't work if we were the same. You're right. Yeah, You're right. So I was under the impression that your dad was a minister is and not just ordained, but actually did it had a church at one point. Right or wrong. So daddy didn't have a church. Okay. He he was a minister and his ministering came late in life for him and me. Oh, OK. So I'm not. You're not a, really a preacher's daughter. No, kind of I'm not a traditional PK preacher's okay. kid. Right. Um, but, you know, it was interesting to watch that development. In his life, mm-hmm. it's very, very interesting because it w- it became an important part of his life. Yeah, and it's usually not something you you tamper with. It's usually something you're you're there in or out. Right, you know, right, right. And so once he once he was in, you know, he he went all in, and it was well. I'm sure it kind of all related. Um, I don't know if you know the story about my dad. I know Andrea does, where Daddy had cancer pretty much for the last 19 years of his life. Mm-hmm. Daddy was a smoker, and he got lung cancer the first time. I was uh, I was almost about to graduate from college, and it so was your a, early 20s. Yeah, yeah, and it was around that time where he was going through the process of of quitting smoking and. Finding out about the cancer. And I think a lot of people do. If you're going to have some big um, revelatory moments concerning religion, it usually comes around a life-changing event like that. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. know that that was probably one of the triggers for daddy. And so he he really just kind of fully committed at that point Mm -hmm. and was good at what he did. His thing was more... Outreach. Outreach, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, exactly. and, and relationship right. building because I don't know how, well, you probably don't know a whole lot about Johnsonville. Johnsonville, the town that I grew up in, it was, um, to a certain extent, although people would dispute this, um, still segregated Yeah, I was somewhat. Gonna, I mean, that's my, I don't, I'm, I've only been through there a few times and I have some um, vendors and some people that used to work for my mm-hmm. company and I won't get into all that because that's not something I want to get into mm-hmm. on the podcast but my my impression has always been that Johnsonville from a from, from a, a a white old white northern guy's perspective mm-hmm. seemed segregated to me yeah and I don't Seems. know whether it, it I don't think it was necessarily intentional well even look at Darlington I mean basically two blocks south of here everybody's black mm-hmm mm-hmm and then yeah, I don't know that, I mean, there's no sign that says, you know, no black people allowed right. in this neighborhood or there's not even a, any kind of, um, you know, other than at council meetings, there's not, a, there's not even a significant amount of tension that I feel when I walk around. I've walked in through other cities and they've definitely felt definitely more tension, you know, but like you said, it's just, 
kind of happened. Yeah. Yeah. I think that may be typical, though, of some of mm-hmm. our older, smaller rural, southern yeah, towns. Right. Yeah, especially rural yeah. like that. Yeah. But I think a part of Daddy's ministry was that he was kind of that bridge builder, mm-hmm. like some of his mm-hmm. best friends Truly, and I, I, I almost cringe at myself saying that because I don't like when people say that in reference to me. But really, some of my dad's best friends were white friends who mm-hmm. adopted him as part mm-hmm. of their family. They mm-hmm. genuinely had mm-hmm. a, fami- a familial relationship with my dad. Right. Um, and because of that, they welcomed us in. When my dad passed away, his funeral was at a white church. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Part of that was because our home church was too mm-hmm. small. <laughs> but whenever my mom called them because they had a relationship with my right. dad, right. they welcomed us in, you know, right. with open arms and mm-hmm. gave us the full reign of what we wanted to do for his right. funeral. Right. And that spoke volumes to me. Yeah, that that's 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 impressive. That's very impressive. Yeah, I think I've only met your dad a couple times. I seem I feel like I know your mom a lot better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And your mom's awesome too. She is. Shout out to your mom. <laughs> I love her. But because uh, she always she's like you. She always has a smile on her face. She's always you know engaged with whoever is around. I mean, you always make contact with people, and um, and that's another thing I just appreciate about you. And, and your family, I mean, it's, it's just really, I get so irritated with how almost impolite people are in that sense, because it's almost like, well, you don't matter. I've got something going on over here. I'll talk to you, but I'm going to pay, you know, and it's obvious they're paying attention to something else. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like, well, if you really don't care about what I have to say or not even willing to, and if you don't care, but not even willing enough to be polite enough to act like you might care, right. then, then, I, then fine. You know, I don't, where I've never, no one in your family's ever given me that, that, that feeling. You know, that's the one thing I probably did kind of inherit from my mom and my dad. You know, we talk to everyone and my mom, even probably more so than me. Sometimes we're out together and I'm like, please, come on. <laughs> you don't know these people. Let's stop this conversation now. But, you well, know, some people just don't know a stranger. I right. mean, my dad was that way to some extent. Right. And like you said, you know, everybody's important enough to at least give them the time of day to, mm-hmm. to have some sort of conversation. Mm-hmm. You may not walk away as best friends, but right. at least give them the time of day because you never know what happened before they actually met up with you at that moment and how you can change that, right, you know, exactly. whatever happened before. Yeah, and you can change people's impressions. I mean, I think that, you know, we, we, before the show, we talked about things we might talk about. And race, unfortunately, is something that is real. Yeah. I mean, it's a thing. And it, and in the last few months, it's become a more of a more of a thing than it usually is. Yep. But it's always there in the background. Yep. You know, I don't think the guy in the White House necessarily changed a lot of things. Maybe other than um, giving certain people that shouldn't have a voice, in my opinion, a voice. But I mean, that stuff's always been there. I mean, you would yep. know better than me, obviously, because yep. you know you experience it a lot more than I would. But I think it also, you know, unfortunately, and I think you know some some. Minority leaders in their past and present have have made the point that sometimes, unfortunately, you know, the the minority person in the minority, whether it's race, religion, um, political view, whatever, sometimes has to kind of be the the bigger person, kind of yeah. has to be the more outgoing, the more engaging, the more yeah. willing to talk. And it's not fair necessarily, but life's not fair, as we know. Yeah. And I think that's what that's that's you know another thing about your family that brings such a very positive image. Is is not just that you guys are black; it's that you guys are just fucking amazing people. <laughs> and excuse my language, no, no, if, if your mom's listening, <laughs> and she will listen, I I'm going to be embarrassed because I swore, <laughs> and I normally swear like crazy on these podcasts. But anyway, so I, um, but um, you know, is is that that 
you know, you, you kind of accept your responsibility in the community as a human being, as a group to, um, you know, take the high road. And I really think that's pretty cool. Yeah. And you know, George, um, what you're speaking about is something that I've always been cognizant of. It's, it's, you know, in professional situations and as well as business situations, oftentimes I'm the only one in a room that mm-hmm. looks like me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to come in. I cannot be unprepared. Mm-hmm. I have to come in with a certain posture mm-hmm. and with all of my stuff together, because otherwise I will be immediately discounted. Right. You know, because I've already got one strike against me in some people's eyes walking into the room. Well, maybe two if you count the fact that you're female, unfortunately. Well, yes. yes. And so I have to be amazing mm-hmm. or come close you to are, being. you are, by the way. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> but I have to come close to being amazing at whatever it is that I'm talking about. And in the business world, um, you, you've met Morgan, my assistant, um, in my wedding planning business. For the first few years, Morgan and I have been together now for 12 of those 13 years that I've been a Mm -hmm. planner. And I frequently tell people this story. For the first few years, we would go out and we would do weddings. And people at the wedding who who didn't hire me, they Mm -hmm. would come up and they would start speaking to her as if she's Stephanie. Right. If they knew the name associated with the business, they'd come start speaking to her or they would come up and start talking to her as the person in charge. In charge, right. Because and, she's white. Right. Just so our listeners know. She's yes. White. Okay. And so she would immediately refer mm-hmm. them back to me. And this right. was nothing that we talked about. Right. But it's just the type of person that she is and it's just mm-hmm. who she is. Mm-hmm. And again, like I said, even in the business world, I have to kind of present myself and not in a false manner, but I no, always have to be on top of, you know, but there's some added pressure there. Yes, unfortunately, there is, right. there right. is, um, you know, especially when I'm in, in rooms where there are other cultures, um, not just white, but other cultures that are there. And I'm the only black person in the mm-hmm, room. Mm-hmm. I have to be very conscious of, mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. And I don't take that lightly either. I right. don't take it as, you know, as just something to be flipping about. Um, you know, sometimes I'll look back and I'll I'll look around at and you um, just hit the microphone. So I know, that's strike I know. one. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I'll look around and even I'm impressed by the rooms that I'm in, mm-hmm. and I'm grateful because and sometimes it's hard not to be. Yep, yep. I'm grateful because mm-hmm. I'm in places that my grandparents could never have imagined. Right. So to me, I I, I cannot take that lightly. Yeah, and I think that sometimes people miss. You know, for, forget all the craziness about you know going backwards and in the good old days mm-hmm. and the good old days are never as good as they were blah 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 you know and I'm f- almost I'm going to be 56 in a few weeks and so it's like you know it, it'd be easy for me to harken back and say well you know and there was a time when this was better or whatever maybe music was um, but <laughs> <laughs> always <laughs> but uh, so but fortunately be I have XM radio so I can turn on the 70s channel anytime <laughs> I want and I can get my groove on but um, you know things have progressed you know and, and people you know, it's kind of like boiling the frog th- analogy that you hear thrown around or whatever. You know, people don't notice how different it is. But if you could get in a time machine and go back to 1955, you know, I mean, everybody, the most conservative person you could find in South Carolina, and there are some that are like off the chart, mm-hmm. would be absolutely just beside themselves with how different a moderate was then. You know, they would appear to be liberal. Yeah. And that's a good thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it's just people sometimes lose that perspective because it's always 
it's about the spectrum. It's about the tribalism. It's about all that stuff, you know, white, black, Republican, Democrat, male, female. And some things have changed dramatically. Some things haven't changed as much as they should. Some things obviously need to change a lot more. But, you know, I look at it relativistically and say, look, you don't, you know, you, you don't run a marathon in five minutes. Right. And unfortunately, we are where we are. And, and we're currently kind of taking a a break from the marathon and maybe falling mm-hmm. back or maybe had a stroke and had to go to the hospital or <laughs> hoping to recover. Yep. But we'll be back on the track, you know, and we'll be back running at some point, hopefully in less than three years. <laughs> and and I think it'll be okay, you know, and I'm never that, I'm, I'm always the pessimist in the group, but um, I'm th- that's one thing I'm optimistic about. I mean, I, I, I think that we'll be okay. Yeah. You know, I was going to say, I, I love the optimism in that because sometimes I'm a little unsure Mm-hmm. by how we are setting ourselves back mm-hmm. and the things I hear and the things I read, they really do kind of weigh me down sometimes. And and there is a wondering, can we get back on track? Mm-hmm. And I can only hope that we can. Well, I think you have to remind yourself, here's some things I'd remind yourself of. I'd remind yourself that the people, I mean, I've had, I've gotten into three verbal altercations in restaurants or bars since the election because people have overheard conversations I've had with other people. Mm. Um, on two occasions, there are conversations I had with um, black people who were strangers, but we just started up a conversation. The other time when I was with my son, who's the Marine slash police officer, mm-hmm. big kid. Yeah. I mean, goes to the gym every day, not a kid you would want to mess with. And, and somebody still almost tried to start an altercation with us. Wow. And I was like, okay, not only are you stupid, you're right. stupid, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because there's a potential ass whipping in this for you on top of the fact that all the shit you're saying is wrong. Yeah. You know. And so that kind of emboldenment thing that I was talking about before is real. Yeah. And it is scary. I would, okay. I think it's an aberration. And the reason I believe it's an aberration is remind, remember that the majority of the people that voted, voted for the other person. Yeah. You know, that the tide seems to be turning to some extent, the, the more um, out of, out of, out of control and sanity. It doesn't, it, it seems like there's a, you know, there may not seem like there's a check and balance in government per se, but it seems like to me, there's a civil check and balance. Mm. And, and that's where I get my optimism from. Now, having said that, it's, I'm not saying that I don't occasionally comment to my friends that, you know, I wonder if this is what people in Nazi Germany felt like, you yeah. know, when they say, well, how did this happen? You know, after the war was over, none of them, none of them were Nazis. You know, it's like, it wasn't me. It was the guy down the street or it yeah. was, you know, and, and maybe they weren't, but somehow they, I wouldn't say they allowed it to happen, but they were, they somehow had some involvement in it happening. And, um, I hope that's not the track we're on. I hope we're on my optimistic track that this is just a blip and that we'll get through it. And I think it's also, I hate to say it's good because there's nothing good about racism or misogyny or any of these things, right. but it's kind of like the 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 exposure of it. Yeah. I think there's something good about it. It's like the, the cancer, you know, I mean, any kind of disease. It's when it's below the surface and nobody can see it. I think we've definitely exposed it. Yep. You know? So it would be difficult eight years or 16 years from now for somebody to come back and say, well, you know, there was just this little blip in racism for a few years. No, no. Come on, people. Let's be real. It was always there. Yeah. It never went away. It was waiting for its, you know, its, its time where it could break through the surface. It broke through the surface. We tamped it down, did whatever we did to fix it. And, you know, but we have to be careful because there's still those undercurrents. Right. You know? And I think I think that's a lesson that maybe we can take away. We might not, 
but I think hopefully that's a lesson we can take away as well. Oh. So, so maybe it's not all bad. I mean, I'm really trying to paint. <laughs> I'm really trying to, I'm really trying to perfume that pig. I mean, I really am, you know, um, because it is horrible. It makes me sick to my stomach. Yeah. But, but I mean, I, I think, you know, maybe there is some positive that can come out of it all. Well, I'm going to be right there with you, hoping that there will be positive on the other side of this. And I miss the Obamas so much. <laughs> because they were just so, I mean, you know, and I've said this before in this podcast, I don't think he's the best president we've ever had. He right. made a lot of mistakes, right. a lot of naivete with certain things, yep. but just as a human being and as a, I mean, as a family, as somebody that you would want, want to go to Europe for a meeting, you know, it's like, yeah, that's the guy. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you That's know, the, guy. the night he won, Parker was about a year and a half old. And as a mother of mm -hmm. a little brown boy, right. that to me was so huge. Mm. He'd already gone to sleep, of course, mm -hmm. by the time they made the call. But I couldn't help but go look at him and think and have the hope that was right. talked about. Right. And just think, yeah, you really can do and be whatever it is that you want to. You 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 actually can. And so in that moment there was just so much pride and it was mm -hmm. it was kind of a, a elation. A, yeah, yeah, a mixed bag pride for the fact that he had won, even though so many people counted him out from mm -hmm. winning, mm -hmm. and pride in the fact that, you know, I could now truly tell my son. Mm -hmm. Now that this there's cap, no ceiling, yeah. there's no ceiling. Yep, right. yep. You can do and be whatever it is that you want to be. If that's what you want to shoot for, then go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's not lose that. Just keep that memory. Yeah, that's a that's a beautiful memory. Yeah. Okay, so we covered a little bit of bio for you. We covered a little bit of your career. We barely touched race, but we don't need to talk about it. It's too <laughs> it's too too difficult. I've had I've had it's been interesting. I've had white people come to me and say, hey, you know, with all this race stuff that's been going on in the news, we need to do a podcast on racism. I say, can't do. No, I cannot do it. I can't do a podcast on racism. Right. Because I'm a white male. Right. I can't because I'm, I'm it'd be like me doing, you know, talking about the female anatomy, you know, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's, I don't have the experience. I've never been inside a woman's body. So I yeah. can't, you know, and I've, I've never been black or Hispanic or anything else. I'm am who I am. So you know, I don't think that that doesn't mean I can't be part of the discussion, but I just think that it's it's uh, presumptuous would be presumptuous of me to have a, a white guest trying to talk about racism because that just makes no sense to me. No, yeah, no, so. that would not be a well-rounded conversation. No, because it, because it just can't. I mean, you just you know, and it's not our fault. It's just you can't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know what it's really like to walk in your shoes or a white person's shoes, but. I can speak to what it's been like for me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've been fortunate throughout my life and in the, in the different situations that I've been in. Um, and it goes back to my parents, you know, my dad, black kids in Johnsonville and the school system were definitely a minority at the time I came through. I would say we probably made up about 25% of our class, even though the class mm -hmm. was small. My graduating right. class was about 80. Oh, my God. And so... I had that many people in, like, my gym <laughs> class at <laughs> the school I went to. And so we probably made up about 25% of that. And I just remember certain situations that my dad wouldn't stand for. One, daddy was on the... Um, he was on the school board for a certain period of time, too, that I was actually in school. He wasn't the entire time. 
But I I remember um, in elementary school going through and taking classes and being on the honor roll one year. And the next year, they're putting me in remedial classes. Mm. And yeah, how did that happen? Right. He would right. not. Yeah, no. He yeah. would not take it. Right. He went out to the school to try to figure out why. Mm-hmm. And somehow, miraculously, I immediately came out of the remedial mm. classes. Imagine that. Right. Um, and so it it's just subtle things and not mm-hmm. so subtle things like mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, I've experienced. Um, my first job in high school, I worked at Subway and I worked there for like five years. I was the, on the extended plan at the subway. And, sandwich artist, right? Yeah, the I was a sandwich artist. artist. Yes, I had to watch yes. the set I was. Yeah. And, so, <laughs> and so I remember um, going home one day and telling my dad, it was a guy who was a regular, a pretty regular customer who came in one day. And it was shortly after I started working there. And I told him what his total was. And I remember him dropping the money in my hands and on the Mm, counter rather mm -hmm. than putting the money in my hands. And it was somebody my dad knew and my daddy did not have a problem at all going to go have a conversation Uh with him. Like Mm. what, what's that? What's that? Right. Yeah. What was that message you were sending there? Right. Yeah. Um, And so he let him know that his daughter worked there. And, um, but you know, it just, it was, that's what's weird. I mean, the familiarity factor, you know, first of all, I can't imagine those things like the, like even when you talk, you talked very calmly and pe- and and, and um, you talked very calmly about the pressure that you feel when you walk into a room, even today. As accomplished as you are, as skilled as you are, and talented as you are, as smart as you are, as as good of a presence that, as you make, just being yourself. You're a mom of two kids, blah blah blah. You've all this resume, and you still feel this 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 extra tick of pressure, you know, this extra mm-hmm. uh, extra load. And I don't, for a minute, deny that you don't. I mean, you absolutely, I mean, I'm sure that you do. That's got to really suck. It does. I mean, because I know a lot of whiny ass white people that if they had to put out an extra ounce of effort, it would fucking kill them. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm not sorry about swearing in that. No, you're in fine. That, in, that, in, that, in that point. You know, I just can't imagine living in, in that kind of, you know, situation. So it's, un- it, it is, I mean, you know, it is unfortunate. But, uh, and that's why I guess what I say is you really can't. I can't have discussions about certain topics because I don't feel that I'm equipped to, as much as I may try to empathize or wish it wasn't so, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't tell the story that you just told because that just doesn't happen to white boys. Right. You know, it just doesn't happen. Right. You know, and I, and I think too, but the familiarity part, going back to your dad. So your dad had these white friends. So he knew this guy. So he went to this guy and dressed him down for yeah. treating you that way. And I'm sure after that he treated you just fine. But yeah. it's kind of like, you know, um, you know, Dick Cheney having a gay daughter type of thing. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. gays are evil. They're all going to go to hell. You know, God hates gays, blah, 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 blah. Oh, shit, my daughter's gay. Well, gays aren't that bad after all. Right. But just don't, like, flaunt it or, the, you know, some, there's always some qualifier. There's always some, you know, I'll support you because you're my kid or my whoever. But, you know, and it's like, well, that's not really woke. You know, that's pretty stupid. That's pretty yeah. weak. You know, it's cool that your dad went to that guy, but did it change that guy to where he treats Other people? all black women the way he treats you because he now is familiar with you? You know, so that that familiarity allows people to get along, whether it's I mean, I played on a football team that was mostly black when I was a kid. It freaked my parents out. Mm-hmm. To me, they were just kids. You know, I don't kids don't know. Yeah. You know, we have gay friends, straight friends, whatever, rich friends, poor friends. So, you know, you, you go through life and you kind of flow with it. But, you know, some people, you know, they can compartmentalize to such an extent where they can literally get along with 
you know, soldiers, for example, or, you know, Marines or airmen, you know, they always talk about, well, there's no race, you know, when you're in the battlefield and because this person is a teammate, so it doesn't matter. And this is where sports is helpful as mm-hmm. well. But then you, that you take some of those kids off the battlefield or off the sport field and they still have these ideas that are very wrong. Yeah. And so how, how you know, pe- the way people kind of turn it on and off has always fascinated me, mm-hmm. you know? That they can say, well, I like you because you're my wife's friend, but, you know, I'm not particularly comfortable around black people in general. That's not me. I'm not saying right, that's me, right, right. but, you know, people would, and I'm like, how does that, how does that actually work? I mean, how do you, but have you run across people that like you've, you know, that have treated you differently because they knew you or your dad or your mom? Yeah, absolutely. But you knew that they were a different person if they were at the bar having a beer with all their white friends. Absolutely. Or yep. Know. Yep. And I think to a certain extent is it almost worse yeah <laughs> i mean is it almost like a, it would feel like a like a like a treason like a you know yeah it's almost like you're putting up a facade for me when in in actuality this is how you truly feel which is very insulting to me mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. when i know that that's how you are or you may even make a comment because believe it or not some people let their guard down enough with me mm-hmm. To say certain things and feel that it's okay to say certain mm-hmm, things mm-hmm. about other black people around me, and I'm like, but do, well, do you not realize right, that? Yeah, right. yeah. yeah mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm black. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to walk in in these shoes. And you know, one of the things too that Shelton and I, I don't know that we consciously. I know we never talked about it, but um, I guess there had to be some conscious thought behind it. Like we we never refer to people when we're talking to them, especially around the boys as um, by race. Mm-hmm. We talk about the person mm-hmm. right. or we refer to them by their name because right. it's important. It was important for me with them being little. Um, neither one of them were truly in traditional like daycares um, whenever they were infants and toddlers. Mm-hmm. But it was important for me for them not to get stuck on race at mm-hmm. an early mm-hmm. phase in life mm-hmm. because that surely was going to come soon enough right, right. without us kind of imparting that on them. Right. But, um, you know, it kind of took me back a bit whenever I heard Parker, and this was maybe in the past couple of years, refer to somebody by race because I'm like, that's not how we refer to people. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it, it's the reminder to to him that that's not even though we never said it to him. Right. We just we right. that's how we you just we operate. Are. Yes. That's just how you operate. Right. Um, but, yeah, being conscious of, of not referring to people by race because people have more to offer than just what you see mm-hmm. on the cover. Mm-hmm. And for me, a lot of times people don't know what they're going to get with me because my name is Stephanie Forte. Mm-hmm. You don't know who really unless right. you've seen a picture you're of some, me somewhere. You're some, you're some French girl. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> with green eyes, green eyes and curly, curly brown hair. You know, well, you do have curly brown hair, but <laughs> so unless you've seen a picture of me, chances are you don't know right, right, who it is that right. you're going, going to get. To get right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That's 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 kind of funny, yeah. And people do make these the. I mean, I mean, it's they make judgment, they make prejudgments because they don't like to be surprised. And I'm not, I don't mm-hmm. think it's it's necessarily means they are particularly racist. But if this is going to sound horribly racist, but if Shaniqua Johnson was showing up. They would just assume, okay, she's of a certain race and, mm-hmm. you know, would be more surprised if she wasn't, but not necessarily judging or not liking or whatever. Yeah. 
but unfortunately that's just you know part of what people do they anticipate things because we're it's part of our training it's part of our evolution i think just gets us there but it's not an excuse but yeah. it just kind of is what it is yeah. but yeah the familiarity thing always kind of blew me away see being able to see people flip that switch back and forth because i played sports and and that was the place i saw it the most mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. was that people were perfectly fine playing sports yeah. with every race whatever but the minute they walked out of the locker room it was like they're not going to hang out into with a you. different world no one's yeah. like i don't where does this I, you know how does this compartmentalization thing happen how does that happen yep you know but you know but it's also a lie to say i mean i i mean i don't have a lot of black friends mm -hmm. i don't have a lot of asian friends mm -hmm. i don't have a lot of latino friends and so i mean it, it's it's there has to be some level of, I wouldn't necessarily say choice, but there seems to be some level of segregation, filtration. I don't know what term you want to use. They, they, they got me to that point in my life. You know, mm -hmm. and I'm not, I don't know if it's me. I don't know if it's society. I mean, I'll, you know, I mean, I, I just think that, that, that it just is for, and, that, and that's not good. And so I'm a, I've always been a big fan because of my sports background mm -hmm. and because of um, integration of my high school and I told this story, I think, on the last podcast or the podcast before, so I won't repeat it, about how it was such a big deal for the parents. It was like, oh, my gosh, this is the end of the world. And for the, us kids, it wasn't really that big of a deal. Mm. Now, conversely, I think there are some kids that went to my high school that thought it wasn't a big deal, but they were kind of racist going in. They were racist coming out. Yeah. So the fact that they went to school that was half black didn't change their worldview, right. which is unfortunate. But, right. um, but I do believe that, that in general— Getting people together is really the only way to 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 make a dent in the problem. And also, I mean, I'm a numbers guy. African Americans make up less than twelve percent of the population. Always have mm -hmm. somewhere between eleven and a half and eleven point eight percent, depending on the decade, whatever. And so, you know, in Detroit, you know, or in Darlington, even though they're two vastly different cities, mm -hmm. there's a lot of African American people. Yeah. But in most of the United States, there aren't many. Because right. that eleven percent's an average, so or twelve percent's an average, so if you have places where there's fifty, sixty percent, well, obviously you're gonna have places where it's near zero, right? And so there are just people out there that have never, literally, there are people in the United States today in 2019 that have literally never interacted with an African American person. I believe you. We uh, traveled. My uncle got married. I'm not gonna say the the city <laughs> or the state. You're not gonna trash an entire <laughs> no, no, group no. of people who. Uh, you know. <laughs> I won't say where, but my uncle got married. It was the early '90s, and so we all loaded up into our vans and drove 12 plus hours to get there. And I'd say it was probably it was probably a good 12 to 15 family members that came mm -hmm. from South Carolina. Mm -hmm. And I will never forget like this. I can almost see like it was yesterday. We walked into the hotel and this white guy looks at all of us and says, blacks, I'll tell you. Like he had never seen really that many black really? people in one place at one time. <laughs> and then, something happened. Yeah, like right? there, was a, there was an event that he was not aware of. Right. 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 <laughs> and then we got out like the next day and started going around this city. It made sense because we, I feel like, were the only mm, black people outside right. of my uncle in mm. this town. Um, well, how'd and, your uncle end up there? Was it in the military or something? Or I no, don't no. know. You know, I don't know the backstory on that. How does the one black guy end up in wherever this unnamed place is? I, I don't know. The That'd backstory. be interesting. That's I know, funny. I know that he found the love of his life, and she happened to be 
a resident. So where they met, I don't know. But um, as long as he's happy. Yeah, he is. That's he's a, he's a really good guy. My honest too. I'm sure. But yeah, that experience is stuck with him because it was yeah. so bizarre, especially to hear somebody say it out loud. You know, and I had to be about 14, 15 at the time, and I'm like. Well, the poor man might have been in shock or something. He could have I mean, been. <laughs> it could have shocked him. Yeah, completely wonderful human being, but he's just like, what the hell? Just go to, yeah. Yeah. Was, oh. But but I but I think that's that's a real that's a thing. Yeah. I mean that's a you know you know I mean we we fear what we don't know or what we don't love you know or we don't yeah. aren't experienced with and you know like I said you know I think it's no different with sexual orientation. I think yeah. it's no different with with religion and politics. I mean, people just. When yeah, fear just drives so much of who we are. I mean, I, I really believe that that we have our technology has evolved way faster than our emotional yeah. brain. Yeah. And and I don't know how many millions of years or if ever our emotional brain is going to catch up to our technology. You know, and and I think that's that's why humans are are we're all freaking crazy to some extent or another. I mean, we all have mental health issues to some extent or another. And, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, to me, you know, mental health is just like physical health. It's something you have to manage and you have mm-hmm. to take care of. But it's, I, I think, you know, a lot of these, these issues we have derive from the fact that we're living in an environment that we weren't, we weren't built to live in. Mm-hmm. We were built to live on the plains and, and we were built to live in small tribes and we were built to not trust the tribe next door because they're going to take our food. We were kind of just built that way. It doesn't excuse bad behavior. I'm not saying it should right, take, right, turn right. your brain off. And, and be a horrible human and, and you know, um, it doesn't justify genocide and racism and all that kind of stuff. But I just think we just aren't emotionally mature. I think we're, we have, are, we have the, you know, emotions of an animal and the technology of whatever humans are. We're still animals, but, you know, some yeah. higher, you know, and I, I just think we're, we just can't handle it sometimes. I agree with you. That's my theory. Now it could be completely full of shit, but. No, I agree with that to a certain extent. Yeah. We're, we're it's just... not an excuse. Like I said, I mean. Because how, you know, some people can at least say this thing is wrong. And so I'm not going to do that, even if it feels like the right thing. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. But uh, uh, and, and, you know, that causes whatever kind of conflict it causes, I guess. That's what art's for. That's why I like to read and watch <laughs> movies because it resolves the conflict, right? You yes. can sit down and then it's a sitcom. If it's 25 minutes or if it's a movie, it's an hour and 45 minutes and all the world's problems are solved. Absolutely. Hour and 45 minutes. It's like, oh, that was great. That was fine. You know, Absolutely. I feel better. I feel less racist. I feel less misogynistic. <laughs> you know? Then you walk outside the theater and it's like, oh, back to normal. Right. right. You know? And it's the same thing with women. I mean, you know, like, like we're talking about, you're kind of like a, a you, you, you come in and I, it's, I hate to say, especially in the South, but I'm going to say, especially in the South, mm-hmm. I've noticed it more. I'll walk in somewhere with Andrea. Everybody addresses me first. Mm-hmm. If it's a legal issue, a banking issue, uh, you know, any kind of that kind of issue, it's, 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 you know, I get most of the deference. I'm older, you know, I'm, I'm whiter. I'm older. I'm not the immigrant, <laughs> you know, I'm not the a female, you know? So, I mean, it's just like, you know, there is such a thing as white privilege and I don't mean it in the way of, you know, like I embrace it because yeah. it just, but it, but I sense the fact that people defer to me way more than I'm comfortable with. Yeah. And and it's like, well, what about her opinion? Yeah. You know, because we're partners. Yeah. And people are like, yeah, well, you know, she's your wife. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> really? now when it comes to picking out colors and stuff like that, that's her job. Right. But, you know, right. it's just, it's just weird sometimes. You yeah, know. It's just really weird. I, I appreciate the fact that you acknowledge that white privilege is a thing because there's so many people that won't even acknowledge that that's a thing. Mm-hmm. 
I read an article a couple of years ago about, and it was written by a white lady who was talking to her kids about the fact that they have this thing called white privilege that they shouldn't abuse and that they shouldn't really have. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was, it was actually a well-written article. I appreciated the perspective of it. Well, I remember the first time that I think it was one of the first times, but it was when when uh, you and Shell and Andrew and I went to the basketball game, mm-hmm. and we went to dinner beforehand. Yes, and I held the door for you too because you're women, and, and holding doors there are going to be some women out there that say <laughs> that I'm being misogynistic pig because I held a door for a woman. But I hold doors for everybody. Yeah, frankly, male or female, I I just that's I just hold doors for people. So anyway, you two walk in, and then Shell walks in, then I walk in. And so Andrew and I are kind of on the left. I, I remember it just like it was yesterday, and you two were on the right. And the and the person at the at the desk looked at Andrea and said, "Table for two. <laughs> and we're like, "What the hell? There's four of us." And I was like, "Oh yeah, four of you. Okay, yeah, yeah, you know." And it was almost like you know we were a different couple. I happened to hold the door out of politeness, but you know we were going to get served first yeah. type of thing. And it was just it's those little subtle weird things that you know just like if you're not looking for them, you don't see them. Yeah. You know, yeah. people go through their entire life and if they're, you know, they, you know, they don't, they don't look and then they say, well, there's no such thing as institutional this and all that. And it's like, no, there totally is. Yeah. You know, men get deferred to all the time. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a male dominated society and it, it's, it's not right, but it, to, to say it's not means you're either intellectually incapable of being truthful with yourself mm-hmm. or, or it means you're just not freaking paying attention. Yeah. And either one of those is dangerous. Yep. Absolutely. So absolutely. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> as so, far as our listeners know. <laughs> you said something earlier too that struck a chord with me about women who may not want you to open a door for you. And I will say this. I um I come from a family where I have an older brother and an older sister. And I'm kind of my parents' child that they didn't really foresee. Yeah, it was a mistake too. You can say the word <laughs> you can say the M word on my podcast, okay? <laughs> Because I was a mistake. I have nine years between my sister, <laughs> yes, my two sisters. Yes, right, yes, yes. Right, so there's okay, eight right. and six years between right, us. And, uh, you know, my dad would joke about it. But I know for a fact that he wouldn't shade me for anything. <laughs> no, absolutely. And so, but I... We're I, glad they had you. Uh, I am too. I am too. <laughs> um, but my dad, one thing, and it, it kind of hit me the older I got. He wanted to make me super independent so that I didn't mm-hmm. have to depend on a man. Right. And right. It, you know what made me think about it a couple of weeks ago? So I was, wait, slam doors in your face? <laughs> no, I was changing my, my headlight in my car. Oh, okay. <laughs> because that's the type of thing he showed me right. how to do. He showed me how to change tires, which I still can't do. But he, he showed me. He showed mm-hmm. me how to shoot mm-hmm. a gun, how to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. So it was, I thought about him a couple of weeks ago and I was like, that's yeah, so he nice. really that's did funny. try yeah. to, to right. make sure that. I could take care of myself completely. So I'm out there changing that headlight in my car and I'm fussing because I'm doing it and I'm breaking my nail as I'm doing it. But I'm also grateful because he, he equipped me Mm -hmm. to be, Mm -hmm. if I was going to be in this world solo, I'd be able to take care of me. Yeah. And not even have to think twice about someone even attempting to take care of me. And that's, and that's a parent's job. Yep. I mean, at the end of the day, he did good parenting. Yep. So. That's great. Better parenting than I've done because I don't know that any of my kids, male or female, could change could change a, a headlamp. <laughs> a headlamp is a technical term, by the way, having been in the automotive industry. Yes. Um, but uh, that's funny. 
<laughs> so there you go. Any questions you have for me? So, so um, we've got an hour now. So everything's everything from uh, is bonus from now. So uh, this is bo this is bonus track time. So cool. you can talk about anything you want. I didn't realize we've been talking for an hour. It's been nice talking to you. Well, you are. That's it. Well, because Andrea and I both like to talk. Yeah. But Andrea is. I was teasing her before you came. I said, "Now look, I know what you and Stephanie are like." <laughs> Do not sit down on the couch, which you guys almost did. You did sit down. I know. And it was like, I said, do not sit down on the couch and start a conversation. I said, I don't want to be here till, you know, I have a bedtime. I said, I don't, and Stephanie has to drive back to Columbia probably. I said, I don't want to be here till midnight doing a 45 minute podcast because you two talked for three hours when she right. first got here. And you know, yeah. it's funny because we text during the day, but we still could ramble on, I'm sure. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. But, you know, one of the things from our conversation, you know, you were saying that and this is a fair question for me, too. Okay. Um, you were saying that you don't have a whole lot of black friends or Asian friends or whatever the race is. Mm -hmm. Have you thought about doing anything about that? Like, how how are you planning to expose yourself to different cultures? Or have you even thought about it? Um, to be honest, I haven't really thought about being proactive mm -hmm. about it. And first of all, I don't I kind of pride myself in not having a lot of friends. <laughs> You're a little and, bit I mean, more introverted than me. Yes. And so, and so, um, I usually carry, I always tell people, I, I, I carry people from each place I've worked. I've, I've yeah. worked and lived a lot of different places. Yep. And it, it is what it is. I mean, you could judge it or not judge it. I don't really care. But, and so I've kind of collected a person from each stage of my life. Mm -hmm. So I have a person from high school that I still keep in touch yeah. with. I have a person or two from college, but not many. Only only really one, to be honest. And a couple others that you know, I would say are more, you know, kind of online friends than real friends, yeah. you know. And then I have some from when um, I was married to my ex-wife. Mm -hmm. And then I have some since I've met Andrea. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my, you know, and then I have some since I've moved to South Carolina. Very few, actually. I don't have a lot in common, strangely, with people here. <laughs> and I've tried. I've actually made an effort you know, and the friends I have made have typically been either through Andrea, because mm -hmm. she's very gregarious, yeah, and um, or I've made some friends with people at Francis Marion, so they're almost like you know expats. I mean, they're they're not from here, yeah, you know. But no, to, to answer your question straightly, honestly, I've not been proactive in seeking out friends of any kind, and particularly not necessarily of any particular. I wouldn't even. I don't. I'm not even sure exactly how to go about doing that. It sounds so stupid for a 56 year old man to say. <laughs> How do I make friends? No, I mean, really, how, you know, if I, if I wanted a black friend, <laughs> where do I go? Blackfriends.com. That sounds creepy and weird. You know, it, it sounds, sound it sounds creepy. almost more racist than saying I have no black friends other it than, does. other than you. Okay. It um, does sound but, creepy. I mean, so, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I certainly don't believe I consciously right. do anything. To alienate people, right. but I also I'm not a friend seeker though. I'm not out yeah. there making friends with anybody. Period. Yeah. Regardless of their of their demographics. I won't That's a great question though. Yeah. Now you're gonna. I'm like, damn it. I won't say that I go super far out of my way um, because, as we talked about earlier, I will talk to almost everybody. Thanks to my mom and my dad. I will talk to almost everybody, mm -hmm. you know, unless, you know, of course, whenever you approach them and they seem unapproachable, then I'm not, I'm not right. doing that. But I mean, some people are just weird or different or not. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you can't have chemistry with everybody. Yeah. As, as amazing as you are, you can't have chemistry <laughs> with everybody. 
But one of the things that I do, because I've been out of the work world, and and since I became an adult, that's kind of where I picked up the bulk of my friends. So I've been working out of my own office for the past 12 years. Mm -hmm. And I'm a bit of a mixture between an introvert and extrovert. And so there are times whenever I fit very well into being introverted and I kind of want to fit in that space. But there's Mm -hmm. also times where I I need the social interaction and I need to be out and about. And I I actually loved office culture because there wasn't a whole lot of politics in the offices that I was in up until that point because I worked in technology. You're Mm -hmm. not going to find a whole bunch of politics among geeks. And so I... I struggled a bit when I came out of the office world. Mm -hmm. And so I started going to different networking things and different seminars around town that I still do today just to Mm -hmm. kind of give me some interaction. Right. With the community at large. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, but I do think that there, there is room for improvement in terms of interacting with other cultures um, and trying to be more understanding, at least on my mm-hmm. end as well, mm-hmm. of other cultures. Right. Um, so it's interesting you say cultures too, because you know you, we you, we think of race as is very binary, mm-hmm. and there are cultural, I'd say, kind of a spectrum. Mm-hmm. So if you look at, at humans, even in the state of South Carolina, you know there there is a there is a kind of a cultural spectrum, and there's a there's a racial overlay, but it's not necessarily so binary. Yeah. And and you talked even about you know mixed quote unquote mixed race people or whatever. I don't even know what that exactly. Means. I mean. We're all mixed race. I, was about to say I mean, we all are. I mean, you know, it's just a, it's a matter of you know whatever. But then you, you you think that, but there are kind of there are certain things that are kind of um, like up in Ohio where I grew up. There were a lot of people who were very proud of their ethnic. You're usually European, but not mm-hmm. always European. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of Arabs and and Asians as well. So you know, either it's usually either European or Asian ancestry. And and they kind of hung out together because they had common interest, food. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, religion, Jews, obviously. I mean, I had a lot. I I went to school with a lot of Jewish kids. had had Jewish friends, but I didn't attend temple or synagogue because Mm -hmm. you know my parents were Baptist, something or other. So, you know, it was it's you know you kind of had your different enclaves of kind of groups, you know, that Mm kind of hung out, and they were natural in the sense that they weren't exclusionary, but they just happened to be in a lot of the same places, a lot of the same free time together. Yeah. So you had, you had these dual lives, you had your sports life and you had your, your, your academic life and you had your kind of cultural familiar life, you know? And so I can see where to some extent there's some separation there just because, you know, if you're, again, if you're going to go to a synagogue, you're going to be around a bunch of Jewish people. I mean, that's just, that's just the way it is. You know, if um, you're going to go to a, Certain churches down here, you're going to be around a lot of rich white people or poor white people or mm-hmm. black people or whatever. You know, a lot of the congregations seem to be fairly homogenous. From my, I, I mean, I haven't done a ter- church tour, mm-hmm. but they, it seems to be, you know, they, they seem to be relatively homogenous. Um, One of the things I'm seeing though with some of the newer churches is that they are very integrated. Mm-hmm. And how old are you? I'm 43. Okay. And I think that that's how it should be mm-hmm. because if we are to be 
what the church is supposed to be, then we all need to be interacting with each other. Right. And Jesus was brown. Sorry to tell you. Sorry to break the hearts of all those white. Even I know. I know that my fan base is mostly white evangelicals. Right. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but the one or two of you that are left listening at this point, um, I hate to break your heart, but Jesus would have been brown. I, by all indications, he would have looked more like a terrorist and less like uh, Michelangelo's yeah. nephew. But uh, you know, anyway. Kind of based on the description that I've read, he sounds kind of brownish. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I, I think that, you know, again, I'm seeing it more with some of the newer, the newer congregations that mm-hmm. are coming up. Mm-hmm. And and that to me is impressive if they if they stay on task to be kind of what inclusive. Yes. Because I mean the the G I always talk about the thing one of the things that drives me crazy about Christians or Christianity is to me, Christianity is the Gospels, mm-hmm. right? So the Old Testament is, it literally says at the beginning of the New Testament, this is, you know, Jesus is the New Testament, the new covenant between God and man. Forget all that old, crabby, anti-gay, mean, sacrifice your kids dude that was in the Old Testament, drowning people and shit like that. And then the books that were written after the Gospels really were just a bunch of books written by the Catholic Church, Okay based on my limited but probably more than average amount of reading done on theology, mm-hmm. okay? So I don't have a degree in theology, but I've probably read more about theology than the average not theologian, okay? <laughs> so where would it, that puts me, amateur theologian. Okay. <laughs> but I do, I really, and I look at the Gospels as being, if you look at them just, just in and of themselves and weed out some of the obvious weird shit that's in there for gosh knows what reason. They're they're like a completely different, in my mind at least, they're a completely different worldview than the stuff that comes after and the stuff that came before. Mm-hmm. And so what drives me so much about crazy about Christians sometimes is they don't focus on the Gospels, which I think would be the meat and potatoes, which is the thing you're talking about. It's the, it's the community. It's the, God forbid, socialism. I'll use the S word, socialism. <laughs> and it really maybe even communism. I mean, if you think about how Jesus was with... Um, sharing everything, right? And people living out in groups and communes, literal communes, hippie style kind of life. I think that's what I read. That's what I hear. That's what I read when I read the gospels, you know? And then there's all this other stuff that happens and people get all caught up in all the other stuff. And it's like, well, that's all noise. That's all man-made noise, you know? And um, so even though I'm not a believer, it it frustrates me because many people I love are believers. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it's just so almost obvious to me that that's the, that's the meat, the meat of your religion should be those four books. Yeah. You know, you say that there is so much noise and there is, um, as a believer, I think that there is sometimes noise in and around people's message. Um, because your message to me really is how are you walking out in your day-to-day life what are you portraying what are people seeing in you because Mm -hmm. if they're seeing the exact opposite of what it is that you're supposed to be Mm -hmm. or what it is that you're proclaiming to be Mm -hmm. then there is absolutely no way to attract them to wanting to be that thing too right and so that's kind of frustrating to me Mm -hmm. as a believer to Mm -hmm. see that and to see how people get so off topic with certain things i actually saw this uh I saw this video today earlier on Facebook. Uh, the guy that Andrew and I were out talking earlier about who, goes, who we won't we won't we won't name we won't name him. But there was a video about a councilwoman. I forget what state 
that she was in and they were asking her about race relations. And she said she was fine with black people moving into the neighborhood. She was running for office, Mm -hmm. but she was not fine with uh, an interracial married couple moving in because the Bible spoke against that. And I'm like, what Bible would she Yeah, which Bible? Right, exactly. I don't remember that passage. (laughs) Right. right. And I think that's the noise. That's Mm -hmm. some of the noise Mm -hmm. that gets out there. Mm -hmm. Um, People put their own spins on things and Mm -hmm. and you will never Mm -hmm. attract people that way by being so noisy. It's just, it's crazy to me. And at the end of the, I mean, and it's, it it always strikes me as being unnecessary. Is a term, I've started to use that term a lot lately in the last, two and a half years, especially. Why do the unnecessary? I mean, I even use it at work, you know, because I, I find myself even as a, as a, as a executive, I, I came up during this transition time kind of, and I had a lot of mentors who were quote unquote old school, you know, it's an mm-hmm. excuse for being a douchebag, but um, <laughs> not me being a douchebag. Uh, I, <laughs> <laughs> I want to be very clear. I'm just, I'm the best manager ever. Right? And it, and it's, you know, and I learned a lot about leadership skills, and I learned a lot about professionalism, and I learned a lot about, um, you know, how quirky people can be, and how managing a large company or, or an organization of any kind, small or large, is diff- very difficult. And I, don't, I think a, a good manager slash leader doesn't always get the credit that they deserve. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they get too much credit. Sometimes they don't get enough. So I learned a lot from those those old cranky guys. But where was I going with this? Crap. You're all <laughs> oh, you're talking about kind of walking the talk and all that kind of stuff. You know. But they, you know, but but they did some. They their their approach was not a not a uh, uh, often you know power plays and and posturing. I mean, I was taught. I was literally taught to, um, and and I still sometimes rely on this. And 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 I wonder if it's right or not. But like if if I have three different types of discussions with employees, okay. Mm-hmm. So if it's if it's one discussion is I come in the office and I sit behind my desk. And it's clear that it's a boss subordinate kind of relationship mm-hmm. thing. So you basically you're you're meant to. Li- it's like going to the principal's office. You're meant to listen. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not meant to have an opinion. You're not meant to push back. You're meant to be in a position that you feel somewhat subordinate. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And sometimes those discussions have to be had. But I was I was literally taught to physically set the situation up that way, mm-hmm. so that it would reinforce the whole the whole thing. Then I was taught to do what I call you know we have we have a old railroad spur that runs through the plant that we don't use. And I call them railroad talks. And that's when you take a person out of the element or you take them to lunch or you go off site and you have a one-on-one and it's a, it's a, it's, it's more of a mentoring kind of caring handholding almost type of um, situation Mm -hmm. where you're trying to say, look, the ball's in your court. You know, we may end up having this, this uh, kind of more paternal discussion at some point in the future, but because you're a good employee, because I care about you, because you've been here a while, whatever the reason, whatever the because may be, um, or maybe because the issue hasn't blossomed yet, it's just starting, you know, I want to nip it in the bud. Uh, we're having this nice kind of friendly, you know, grandpa talk type of thing, you know. And then there's the the team kind of meeting where you have multiple people in a room. Nobody sits at the head of the table, you know, it's kind of a, a round table or mm-hmm. no table. You might be standing and it's very, you know, it's very um, collegial and it's very cooperative. Everybody gets a chance to talk and everybody gets the chance. You know, there's no such thing as a bad idea, even though there are plenty of bad ideas. <laughs> come out. Um, so, you know, I was, I was literally taught to physically set the situation up that way. Yeah. And it's kind of hard to unlearn that, but I don't know if it's good or bad. And then I, I talked to my kids, this whole millennial thing. I, I, I get very frustrated with the term millennial because 
I do see these traits in some people of the, of a certain age, but it's 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 just another it's just another. But then I realize it's just another tribalization yeah. tool. It's another way for old white guys to try to hold on to some fake great yeah. past that we allegedly had when we ran everything. Well, fuck, when we ran everything, we we're polluting the crap out of the environment. You know, global warming's happening. Women are getting paid seventy cents on the dollar. The men. You know, so I, I don't think we did that great of a job. <laughs> you know, I mean, objectively, I can say we didn't do that great of a job. We have huge national debt. People go to college that shouldn't go to college. They rack up debt on on some 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 fantasy that they yeah. were going to be a PhD in physics someday, and they could barely make it through one year of tech, and then they drop out and owe a pile of money that is never going to be collected. So I mean, there's all these ills and. Uh, it's, it's, so I'm trying to, I'm in this kind of combating with myself thing mm-hmm. about, you know, ha, am I successful in spite of what I learned? Am I successful because of what I learned? How much of it needs to be dialed back? How much of it do I, should I just run with because it's who I am? You know, or is it more important that my intentions are good? Even if my behaviors are occasionally a little dodgy, I wouldn't say dodgy in an illegal right. or immoral right. sense. Cause I would, you know, I always tell people you can do anything you want at work as long as it's not illegal or immoral, but I don't know. The fact that you're thinking about this, though, I would think would make you a good leader because people that don't care, don't they don't care. They don't Mm -hmm. think about these Mm -hmm. types of things. Mm -hmm. They don't care about how they're going to impact their employee or, you know, is this style something that maybe I should tweak a bit? So just by everything that I've heard about you professionally (laughs) and what you've done here it sounds like you're great at what you do. And the fact that you're even thinking about this, I would think would probably set you up to be and make you a great leader. I don't know what your employees say, but I imagine they we will probably... not be interviewing any of my employees. On this <laughs> <laughs> I imagine, no, though, that they probably you're probably well liked around there just from having this conversation, because it's been my experience with managers um, and leadership. It's the ones that think about you and think about their interactions with you and and think about how to make improvements upon those things. Those have been some of my best in my professional life. So. Yeah. I think it's always, it's always a work in progress. I think, you know, my, I was fortunate that my grandparents lived a long time and I loved, well, three of four, three out of four of my grandparents. And I loved all three of them very, very much. And, um, and that's why I try to be such a good grandparent because mm. to me that's that's that I I felt the impact of their lives on me and I want to hopefully have the same impact on my grandkids' yeah. lives. And um but the one thing that, you know, they 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 all three had in common was that even at ninety eight years old, it was a work in progress. It's like yeah. I can I can I can do better. I yeah. can learn something, you know. Um, I learned some things from from my last couple of podcasts. I learned some things from Devin about mental health that I didn't know. I learned some things from Hillary about her life experience and how it, it impacted her. And and um, and and I'm starting to use this podcast as a vehicle to learn to continue to not be the the you know the old guy from the '60s and the '70s. Yeah. I love that. I love that, that you're open to that. And I love to see you with your grandkids because that relationship is so important. I, my last living grandparent, she passed away 14 years ago. It's the year that Shell and I got married. No, wait a minute. No, it was the year that Parker came. So it was 12 years ago. And, you know, I come from huge extended families. So I come from like on one side, a set of 30 plus first cousins. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like, 
the relationships that I see you and Andrea having mm-hmm. with your grandkids, mm-hmm. because if you've got 30 <laughs> plus. Right, right. You can only, even if you're the best grandparent <laughs> on the planet, you've only got one thirtieth of a slice of the pie. Right. right. Yeah. And so it was, the, it was similar on both sides. I mean, I had good relationships on both sides, right. but it wasn't like you guys, like mm-hmm. I love seeing the pictures of you guys with your grandkids. I probably have pictures. My last pictures with my grandparents may have been when I was a toddler, right? you know? And so I love seeing that keep doing that because those are things that they will remember. Like mm-hmm. I have very vivid mm-hmm. memories with my grandparents, mm-hmm. especially my mom's dad. He was the tobacco farmer. I don't know if I ever told you that story <laughs> and the fact that I worked in his tobacco tobacco field for four years but that's cool uh, well, my it, grandma what? my grandma used to roll tobacco really yeah she was a single mom because my grandfather got tuberculosis they they were very middle class he was mm-hmm. a baker which was a good job back in the day mm-hmm. and so she she worked part-time in the tobacco company and then when he had to go to sanatorium for his tb and could no longer be a baker she had yeah. to go full-time and she had four boys and that, We'll talk tobacco someday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No got, smoke, kids. Yeah. It's bad for you. Don't. Yeah, it's I got hor- to learn. It's the worst. It's the worst habit ever. Far more. It's well, the, not worst. the worst. It's I mean, kind of the worst. The worst. But I mean, it's one of the worst jobs too because it's yeah. hot. But yeah. um, anyway, <laughs> I, again, I was just saying that you know I love the relationships that you guys mm-hmm. have because you're spending time with them. You're mm-hmm. doing things that they will remember. Right. For years to come. And you and do. So. And that's and I think that's what motivates me. I know I probably don't spend as much time with them as my daughter thinks I should, but she has pretty <laughs> she has she has she has incredibly high expectations of me as a father. <laughs> Much higher than than I A deserve or B or possible. But um yeah, I you know, my grandparents absolutely they were they were also three different points of a compass. They were very, very different from each other. Yeah. Even the two that were married to each other for 60-odd years were completely different. And then my other, my grandma, my tobacco-rolling grandma was even way more different. You know, <laughs> I, you know I, I always tell people that my, my dad's mom taught me how to drink, swear, and gamble, okay? My um, mom's mom taught me how to cook and bake, and um, my mom's dad taught me how to, how to be... Um, intellectually curious mm. and so it was an interesting triad yeah. everything from playing poker to, <laughs> to to reading the bible and and having having very uh, adult conversations about about the bible with my grandfather yeah. and or the law or politics yeah. or it was it was uh I, I was i was very as you all would say down here blessed <laughs> <laughs> for an atheist to use the term blessed, but everybody knows what I mean. Lucky. Yeah. I'm very, very fortunate to, uh, and, and being the, I was the, I, on the good side. You used to talk about your big family. I only had like 13, well, 11 cousins. Mm-hmm. So, but the upside was I was, because I was the mistake, I was the second youngest. <laughs> so now everybody kind of moved along. So now the grandparents kind of had this new oh, level of, yeah. you know, and a lot of them had moved away. And so we were the second closest geographically and the second youngest I was. So I got all the, I got all the golden time. I was the, I was the, I was the golden child. (laughs) And I loved every minute of it. They spoiled the living crap out of me. And I bet they did. Yeah. Yeah. They treated me the same way I treat Jackson. (laughs) He's not my favorite, but I'm just saying. You know, it's, it's. 
interesting for me to see now my mom with the boys because my boys are the youngest of the grandkids. Mm-hmm. Um, my nieces and my nephews, they're in their 20s and 30s. Um, but then my kids are 12 and 8 almost. Mm-hmm. And so they love that time with my mom, especially with having her in Columbia now. Oh, yeah. Um, I think they all love it, although my mm-hmm. mom sometimes will say they're too much. But right. I think they all love that time with each oh, other. Yeah. And I'm, I'm grateful that they get to have right, that. Right. Um, because it's, it's, just, it's those memories, I think, that are so important. And it'll make a huge impact. So, you know, I mean, it, it, you can't. I mean, for me, you know, I wrote, I, you know, I, I wrote a paper in English, college level English, you know, about who my hero was. And it was my, my grandfather was my yeah. hero, but he was imperfect. He was an imperfect yeah. hero. He, yeah. he, um, he was, he, he was, uh, he was racist. Yeah. He was, he was, he was an imperfect hero, yeah. you know, which most is, which is, which are. is, which is sad, which is unfortunate. Yeah. But, um, but most of the times the heroes are yeah. imperfect. Yeah. 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 They say never meet your never meet your heroes. Yeah. But uh I grew up with one and he in balance he he was he was a positive for sure. Mm-hmm. No question about mm-hmm. it. So you're supposed to be asking me a question about banks. Oh Jesus, yes. So <laughs> I know and we're way this is great. This is awesome cuz I'm going to get like seven podcasts out of this. This is cuz you're so conversant and you're so easy to my I you have no idea how much fear I had coming into this but really? of all the podcast guests I've had I felt that I had the most pressure with you because I know how much Andrea loves you. Okay. And I, I was like, okay, I got, I got Stephanie needs to laugh, genuinely laugh, not just a polite laugh. And you've laughed a few times really gutturally, very good. So, so I, I checked that box. Um, I have to get a lot of interesting material. I think we have, and, but we're going to get it. It's going to get better here in a minute. <laughs> So the way I was going to, no, I felt a lot of pressure. I did because I wanted I it to be, that. I wanted it to be perfect because, you know, I kind of like Andrea well, yes. and I kind of like you yeah. and, you know, so I just, you know, and I kind of like my podcast. It's my baby. <laughs> so it's, you know, yeah. I mean, it, it was, it's important. So I'm very pleased so far, but yeah, so the way I was going to introduce this topic, <laughs> but it's way past since you brought it up was going to be, um, Georgia just got a job at a bank. So I was going to say, well, what do you think about my daughter being a bank teller? So, okay, the background, everyone. <laughs> and then I'll let Stephanie talk. But <laughs> I heard, oh, gosh, it's been years ago now, that Stephanie has a phobia about going into banks. And I have social anxiety. So, I mean, just phobias of going into public places in general are not something unfamiliar for me. However... Banks don't particularly trigger a reaction <laughs> um, because, you know, I mean, I rarely go. And when I do go, it's usually I'm getting money. So that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, go ahead. Banks. <laughs> so I do not go on the inside of banks um, if I can at all avoid it. Um, this probably started when we lived in Florence. So about 15, 16 years ago, because it felt like to me um Every other week, a bank in Florence was getting robbed. And so I remember having a dream one night that I was actually inside of the bank because it was kind of what you heard in the news cycle for a good Mm -hmm, couple mm -hmm. of weeks straight. So I had a dream one night that I was inside the bank and it was being robbed. I don't remember the outcome of that dream, but I do remember the feeling. And I was like, okay, no, all of my business now will be conducted through the drive through or ATM. (laughs) And so, yeah, that's going 16 years strong. But Andrea and I, we do a lot of banking that requires me now to go on the inside of banks. 
because I have to get change for our bridal show. Right. <laughs> and so in order to do that, I have to go inside. And usually whenever I go inside. Make her do it. Oh, you know what? That is perfect. You carry the load anyway. I mean, you that do like perfect. In, in my my view of the world, and Andrew's going to slap me. She stupid is going to get this. you. I know. <laughs> Don't say you, it. You're a partnership, but you seem to carry more of the load. So Don't I mean, say put it. the banking on her. And you know that's usually. And now that Georgia works at a bank, neither one of you even has to go to the bank. <laughs> I can't. I, Have I can Georgia never, bring change home. I can never work inside of a bank, but um, usually going to get changes one of the couple of times mm-hmm. a year that I go inside, and I realized I came to realize last year I'm probably the most suspicious looking person when I'm in there because <laughs> I'm looking around at everybody. <laughs> <laughs> And, and everybody's looking at you thinking, well, if somebody's going to rob this fucking bank. It's going to be hard. Gonna... <laughs> You're uh... right. And, you know, I had a conversation <laughs> with. Um... Stop staring. <laughs> I know. <laughs> One of Parker's uh... friends, his mom is a deputy up in Richland County. And so I told her about the fact that I don't go inside of banks if mm-hmm. I can help it. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, they typically rob the banks that are closer to the interstate. Interstate, right, yep. right. Quick Every getaway, bank right, right. that I go inside Well, you live in Columbia. Columbia has like <laughs> 400 <laughs> interstates. You can't, <laughs> right. As my de- dearly departed father would say, you can't swing a dead cat in Columbia without hitting an interstate. <laughs> right. And, you know, right, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. And usually there is a couple of bank robberies a month in Columbia. Oh, <laughs> and there was one last week. Was it last week yeah, or the week before? That was the one that wasn't so, too far from my house. Yeah, right. It was in your neighborhood, more or less. Northeast Columbia. Yeah. And so, I mean, immediately I got the thing from <laughs> from, from Andrea. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God, Stephanie. That's and then sure I thought, she's okay. And then, no, and then yeah, I was like, yeah, you, know, you didn't mark yourself as being safe. You know <laughs> how they do when there's like, you know, school lockdowns and all that kind of stuff. It's like, you know, Stephanie Forte is, is marked safe. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, I'm that crazy person whenever I do have to go oh inside, sweating and have my purse up under my chin. Uh, oh, it's bad. It's a bad sight. <laughs> so all the things we learn about our friends <laughs> that are quirky. Let's just put it that way. Yes, that's a quirk. <laughs> but I mean, fear, that's, and, and that's the, th- the funny thing about fear. And I mean, and, and I suffer from um, generalized anxiety disorder. And one of the things people are often afraid of is flying. Mm-hmm. And flying statistically is one of the safest things you could possibly do. Right. And I'm a metallurgist and I, you know, work in an industry that part of what we do. And and in the past, I worked for places that exclusively made parts for jet engines and other other things on airplanes. And so flying is one of the things I do that doesn't bother me at all. Mm. Even when it gets bumpy, even when there's weather, even when there's, you know, like we used to to get it. And and this is terrible. I'm going to say it. (laughs) <laughs> after 9-11, the few, first few years after 9-11, we would f- fly to England that week because we could get cheaper tickets because mm, people still hadn't yeah. recovered from the, the backlash of, of the horrible events of that day. So I don't want to make light of the people that died. Right. You know, it was kind of like a combination of, A, you know, it's a low probability event. Yeah. And B, it's also kind of a way to kind of thumb your nose at the bad guys. Say, hey, yeah. I'm not afraid to fly a 9-11. In right. fact, I think we did it in 2002. We yeah. flew... So, you know, Andrew will say it's all about the fact that I could just get a cheaper plane ticket. (laughs) Not about thumbing my nose at the terrorists. It was about, yeah, hey, 500 bucks is 500 bucks, right? More money to spend on whatever the hell she spent it on probably. But uh, (laughs) so, so it is weird how fear can be, I mean, fear is just, you know, it's obviously kept our species alive for however many hundreds of thousands of years or whatever. And, um, 
so it does serve a purpose. But again, that goes back to my whole thesis on our emotions not evolving as fast as our mm -hmm. technology, because there's not really much to be afraid of in America. You know, there are a lot of ways to die, but we don't die at the same right. rate and gruesomeness that we died at 100 years ago, 150 years ago, 200 years ago, 1,000 years ago. You know, so um, it's, it's, it's kind of weird that the healthier and longer we live and safer we are, the more scared we are. <laughs> it just it's, it seems like some kind of inverted curve, yeah. you know? It's yeah. So anyway, so if you're ever running away from Stephanie <laughs> and you want a place to hide, play hide and seek, go to a bank <laughs> and, you'll be, and you're good and you're good and you're good. <laughs> All right, man, that's like an hour and a half and that was an easy hour and a half. Wow. Did you enjoy it? Was I did. It fun? I did. Have you done a podcast before? No, I enjoy talking to I know to you, you've though. done like radio. Yeah. I know you've done some TV spots for, you know, uh, your your business and whatnot, but you've never actually done. So, hey, you're welcome back anytime. I would if you love think to. of a specific topic you want to talk about, you want to bring, you know, bring the kids. Oh, God, I can't. Even, I'm almost afraid to have Parker as a guest because I'll be like, <laughs> oh, dude, wait a minute. I got to get my thesaurus out, <laughs> right. all my science and math books. You know, I'll be like, I have all this, you know, yeah. a separate computer with Google up and ready to go. <laughs> so what the hell is this kid talking about? Yeah, sure. Yeah, Parker, tell yep. us more. Tell Your us Japanese more. Your Japanese translator. Yeah, tell us more. Yeah, tell us more. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So, yeah. uh, no, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Me too. I enjoyed it. I don't feel any pressure anymore. You can come back anytime. Well, that's good. I enjoy talking to you. You're always easy to talk to. Thank you. And, and so you, are you. It's intelligent conversation. It's meaningful conversation, not just kind of just shooting the breeze. I well, enjoy it. I enjoy it too. Great. So now as long as I edit it properly and Andrea enjoys it, that'll be the final <laughs> word on whether or not we're allowed to have another one. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Thanks, Stephanie. I appreciate it. Thank you, George. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Talk and Turns. Music's been provided by Mr. Scruffy. Some photography's been provided by Photographs by Andrea. Please visit our website at www.talkinturns.com. That's www.talkinturns.com. Talking Turns is copyrighted. Any use of this material requires the expressed written consent of George Knapp. Opinions expressed on Talking Turns are solely those of the speaking participants. These opinions do not in any way reflect the beliefs or opinions of our sponsors, associates, employers, or other individuals associated with this broadcast. Again, thanks for listening and be kind to yourself. Mm -hmm.